0: A safe place for us to learn, share, discuss, and help each other navigate this often unexpected journey. Be kind, be supportive, and when you can, keep the humor. My name is Annie, and welcome to Walking with Freya. Hi, friends! So, this morning I had a conversation, long overdue, with Jamila Bashir about racism and special education. Now, I'll be honest and say that this is not something that I have even thought about until very recently, and yes, that is my privilege showing. Hopefully the old adage of better late than never applies here as well, and I'm asking you all to join me in going deeper into understanding how the systemic racism of our culture permeates even the arena of special education not just so that we have a broader picture, but so that we know how and when to speak up and how to fight against it. Silence is compliance. Jamila and I discussed the many factors surrounding students of color and special education, the effect of implicit bias on how teachers interact with students, the criminalization of black students while overlooking mental, emotional, or special learning needs, the disparity of funding in school districts, how parents of color, be viewed and treated when seeking services and the lack of effective diversity and inclusion training i think that this is a conversation important for all of us for all teachers therapists administrators and parents and i'll say it again silence is compliance now is the time to speak up so if you have a concern in your school you can talk to other parents, you can reach out to teachers or to administrators, start a dialogue about your concerns, call for diversity and inclusion training, and to be clear, call for training that is led by a person of color with experience, but keep speaking up. Our country is potentially on a path towards profound change, and it's time for all of us to be a part of the conversation, whether it be active speakers or great listeners, but also to be advocates for this change. Now, for long-time listeners, maybe you will remember Jamila from episode 24 when we talked about her book, Because of Her, which was about growing up with a sister with an intellectual disability. And in that episode, uh, we also talked about IEPs and what parents need to know which is something that Jamila does often in her work. And you can find out a lot more about her on Instagram and her website, and I will post links to both of those in the show notes. She also uh, mentions them in the interview, so you can take it down then. I also read a few articles in preparation for our talk, and I will post links to those in the show notes as well. Now, on the business end, Walking with Freya is a contender for the best podcast of Humboldt County through the North Coast Journal. The voting lasts through the end of June and it turns out you can vote once a day. I will post a link to I will post a link to vote for that as well in case you feel so inspired and I would of course be grateful for your support. As always, I am asking for ratings and reviews on iTunes to help the podcast get seen and please tell a friend and share a favorite episode. I will be sharing this episode to all of my social media in the hopes it Teachers and parents will take heed of Jamila's advice. My writing journal, a companion of sorts to this podcast and to the journey of raising a child with special needs, called There is Joy to be Found Here, can be found on my website at anfricky.com along with my other books. And there will be a new addition to the website, a free downloadable PDF of Humboldt County poets writing about this time of quarantine and COVID called Behind the Mask, 40 Quarantine Poems from Humboldt County. I was one of the editors on this book, and I will be the first to say that there are some beautiful, honest, inspiring poems to be read. So that's enough business for now, and I am so grateful to Jamila for coming onto the podcast to have this conversation with me, and I think that there will be more coming as well. We have some more conversation ideas, so look forward to that. And remember friends to love each other, be kind, be respectful and speak up. Our humanity depends on it. Thank you all for being here.
1: So my name is Jamila Bashir. Um, I am a special education educator, a special education specialist. I'm a published author of the book um, because of her, a true story of what it was like growing up with a sibling with a disability. And I tell it from the sibling's perspective. I am also an IEP coach. I um, consult with parents and caregivers um, about their child's IEP. I also review documents, special education documents, and I also created a two week um, course called Master the IEP, where I teach um, parent clients how to interpret and understand the IEP. So I literally go through every section of the IEP so that they understand what belongs in here, Uh, We have a weekly Q&A, and also I give, like, assignments just to give them an idea of how we go, how um, case managers go about creating goals, how we go about figuring out what placement the student needs, um, et cetera. Okay,
0: great. Yeah, and for anybody listening, uh, we have talked before, and it was episode 24, and we talked mostly about um, your book and IEPs, and uh, towards the end of the conversation, we did get little bit into what we're talking about today which is racism in special education and um I think that this is a conversation like all of these conversations very long overdue well I don't know people are having them but um you know it's uh it's funny because you were talking about getting the emails and the conversation with your friend and um I yeah it was kind of the same thing for me it was just you know, my friend put a call out on Facebook the other day of like, okay, people, what are you, what are you doing in this situation? And was thinking about the podcast, and then, um, and it was right around the time that you you had put something out uh, at, talking with your friend. That was
1: oh yeah 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 um, talking with your ch- child about talking with your kids about racism.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and yeah. I listened to that, and that was
1: a very good conversation.
0: Yeah. yeah. I was scribbling notes down as I was listening. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so that was good. And, and we. um
0: and go ahead. Well, and that's on your Instagram uh, TV, correct? Like if people follow you on Yes. That.
1: Yeah. So um, anyone that is interested in following me, you can follow me at Because of Her on Instagram and Because of Her on um, Facebook. I also have a YouTube um, channel called Jamila the IP Coach. Um, so you, all the videos that I put on, that are on my Instagram, I put them on my YouTube channel. You can check me out at my website, www.becauseofher.info. Um, when you go to the website, there are links that will connect you to my Instagram, to my Facebook and to the YouTube channel as well. And, and you also can learn information about me, my credentials, um, more about the IEP coach, um, which is the name of my company where I do my consulting work. Um, and also, I'm planning to do more work with my nonprofit because of her as well.
0: Mm, nice. Nice. Well, so let's get started on this conversation. And I was thinking, um, and if you agree, um, you know, it sounded like, at, at least from the um, some of the articles I read, maybe there was a question of, is there racism in special education? But I think that given the current current enlightenment that is happening <laughs> albeit uh too late for uh mainstream culture about just how embedded racism is in our culture i think we could start from the premise that it, it does exist there it exists there as it exists in in any other place and so um maybe just go into discussing how it manifests the reasons why or, or how it shows up
1: um, um okay so I have been an educator for 14 years. Um, and I've always done, you know, special education. Um, I started out doing elementary and, you know, as the years going on, my tolerance changed and I went into <laughs> secondary. Um, so I, um, I, I, currently, um, teach seventh great English and, um, I do, I do co-teaching as well as, um, learning support English and just, um, I'll say when it comes to the I think it's some teachers um, mindset, because you do have it's, and it's and, and it's a shame to say, but you do have some racist teachers. Mm-hmm. So imagine you have a racist teacher and then the teacher notices, perhaps, you know, this particular child who is an African-American. Is showing some academic needs or behavioral needs, and they may say, Well, I don't feel like doing the work. I don't feel like filling out the paperwork. I don't feel like going through that whole process, you know. And then this same teacher who may have another student who is white may put the effort in for that kid, but won't put it in for the child that is African American. Mm -hmm. That does happen you know, in schools, it it does Um, you or on the flip side, you have some teachers who are always refer putting in the referrals for African American students, Oh, they have a behavior issue, they have a behavior issue, they have a behavior issue. And it's not a behavior issue. It's something that happened prior to this kid coming to school, you have no idea what's going on in this kid's home, but you're quick to say, Oh, he he has a problem, or she has a problem and they are referring those kids. So it's like you get a a mix of both. From my experience, I've seen both, where it's like you have all the data that supports why you need to move forward with referring this child for help, but you're not doing anything about it. But you'll do it for your other students. And then you also have teachers who, again, you know, especially African-American boys and black um, African-American boys and Hispanic boys. Oh, they have behavior problems. They have behavior problems. They have behavior problems and you're constantly putting in the referrals, constantly sending them to the office. You know, these kids get suspended, but they, these kids get suspended at a higher rate than their white peers. Whereas a white peer could get a detention or you're actually talking to him to see what the issue was, but you're not doing that for, the black and brown boys and girls
0: mm-hmm. yeah that was um i read this article and um for those listening i'll post links to all of the articles that i read uh but there was an article about how it's called pipeline to prison special education too often leads to jail for thousands of american children and it was talking about that how you know these these behavior policies you know some schools have this this behavior policy of you know no tolerance for disrespect or non compliance, and' right they're not looking at um you know and and some disabilities is it you know it manifests in that way i mean I see it with my right. daughter <laughs> the defiance is like sometimes just part of her of of you know what she's got what she's working with and uh so yeah it was just it was it was kind of you know sad to read, of course, about how how many kids are just you know they're not getting the help that they need, and so they're just sent straight to they're just seen as being being defiant, you know, when there are other right. needs that are that are being overlooked
1: right, and it's like you know like 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 what you were just saying and about the defiance, you have some kids, you know. And I know some people may look at it, oh my God, it's not a disability. It's got a behavior. They just need a good, they just need a good discipline from home. But you know, you have, you have some, you know, some children where trauma that has occurred in their life has caused them to have, you know, maybe ODD, opposition defined disorder, or it's, you know, something else. You know, they may have a, uh, they may have OHI, severe ADHD or something else. and But something else, has occurred in their life caused them to behave in a certain way and you know it starts off you know they start off you know getting detention constant detentions and detentions and then it turns into out of school suspensions then it turns into oh um you're having an extended suspension and then and, and then you know these kids they accrue all these suspensions you know it goes on their record their record travels with them to whatever school they go to next. So now these kids have a reputation, and mm. you, and you know um, when kids go, let's say a kid a kid transfers from one school to the next, teachers talk, um, support providers support providers talk, and they you know they communicate with each other from other schools. So teachers and related service providers, you can already have preconceived notions about a kid before they even come to your school and you're already, you're already either afraid of what Mm -hmm. you heard or what you read or you're just, or you're just like, Oh my God, what am I going to do? You know, I've had that happen several times. You know, I remember in particular, it was one kid, African-American, um, male, he had repeated a grade. So of course he was taller. He was a year older than everybody. And also he was taller than everybody. And I never forget, he, um, he had speech. Very bright kid. Didn't re- didn't have academic needs. He had speech, and the speech therapist, I guess, had his file. And in the file, the previous case manager put "good luck," oh. like in the file, and it was just like, "What?" And so she, the the the, the speech therapist at my school, she already started to get preconceived notes. She's like, "Oh my God, he's this, he's this," and so me and my teacher partner at the time, we're like okay so when we when he started you know coming you know to see us or whatever we didn't see that mm-hmm. this boy never got in trouble at the at the school we were at and the one time he um it was a he got into a, a altercation but it was not his fault mm-hmm. he had and he and this was a kid who also had a, a therapeutic support um service worker with him, you know, came to the school with him. And I never forget, his TSS said, I don't like the class he's in because his teacher always assumes it's him, but he never looks at the kid that has been bothering him. Mm. And this is, and his teacher was a white male. And he said, and the TSS worker said, he does it all the time. And the TSS worker was saying how he didn't want to overstep, you know, because it's not his classroom. And I just told him, you know what, go to the principal and share what's going on because that's not right. Because you're gonna constantly accuse this boy of doing something, he's not doing anything, but you don't check the student, the peers that, that are bothering him. You're not mm-hmm. saying anything to him, to them, but you want to yeah. say something to him. And he was when I tell you he was the sweetest, most respectful kid. But because of what was written, because of the reputation. That he had now we, we weren 't at his previous school we, we don 't know you know what he was do- you know what I mean what he was doing or how he was, but it 's like just imagine he was getting suspended for something that had they just talked about it or had someone intervened, it would never have happened a lo- th- there is a lot of that, and then these kids want am getting reputations, and then I remember in Philadelphia when I was teaching Philadelphia. I remember, these, I remember the counselors should say 10 is the magic number because that's when you could get arrested. Mm. That's when the cops, you know, if, if, if you know, of course, if you act out a certain way, they could call the police and you could get arrested.
0: Mm.
1: And imagine, imagine you're 10, imagine you are 10 and you get arrested.
0: That's unbelievable. So
1: that prison, that, that right, so that pipeline, it's real. It really is real. It really is, and our kids of color—they are suspended and disciplined more strenuous than their white peers. You know, I've seen where some administrators will take the time to talk, you know, with, um, you know, students that are, um, you know, Caucasian, or whatever. But they don't have—they don't do the same for a kid of color. Mm-hmm. I've seen that. I've seen it where it's like special treatment to one or two particular kids, but I'm like, these, all these kids just did the same thing. Why are you treating them differently than these kids over here? They all did the same thing. So they all should get the same consequence.
0: Right. Well, that gets into the whole um, implicit bias thing. There was another article I was reading about implicit bias and how that affects Everybody in that situation, the teachers and the administrators, and now sometimes it's not even a, a conscious thing, but um you know if you have this this implicit bias towards a certain type of person, you know you have to really do the work to to move past that and um, if it's not even acknowledged, which I think it's not something that most people do acknowledge it's a conversation that is uncomfortable for a lot of people um so there's not a lot of working through that.
1: Right. Because it's like they, you, if you have an implied bias, you don't see the issue. Mm-hmm. You don't see the issue you have. And it's not, it's not until someone brings it to your attention that you're like, "Why well, I didn't mean it that way. Or I, oh my God, that's, that's how it's perceived. And you're like, yes. Mm-hmm. And then, and then that's when they start to think that person with the um, implicit bias, that's when they start to think like, oh, like. Like, it's like you have, it's like someone on the outside has to break it down for them in order for them to understand where their bias is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And if no one, and if they don't have that person to break it down, they will continue with that implicit bias. You know, because there is a, you know, I can't remember, um, you know, one teach, one, um, some teachers, it's like when it comes to special, just special education um, in general. A lot of teachers have the mindset that the special education is a place, so you have to go here for your class. you have to go here to get taught, you have to go here to get educated and I never forget my principal had to have a conversation with the with the staff that I was working with at the time for them to be mindful of what they say because and he was saying. Students that have an IEP, you don't have to make it known that they have an IEP and you have to be mindful of what you're saying in the classroom and outside of the classroom because there were teachers just talking, 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 confidential information, like just going like, like, like it was nothing. Mm. And it's like, that's confidential information. Like you, you're, you you should not be talking in common areas you know how like when you go to the hospital, like in the, in the elevator, it, it, sometimes they have signs like be mindful of what you're saying um, mm-hmm. that you, you know, you don't get. And it's like, I feel like it's the same thing. And I'm saying that that's where my principal was coming in. Like, that's the point he was making. You need to be mindful of what you're saying out of your mouth because you're you are sharing confidential information. But none of them thought anything was wrong with what they were doing. Hmm. None of them thought it was nothing wrong with what they were doing. But it was like, okay, but if it was your, and it's like, when you come from the the point of, if it's your kid, and if it's your kid's information that's being shared, then it's it's like, that's when the clicker went off, like, oh, I shouldn't do that. Oh, okay, I shouldn't do that. Because even one teacher, one teacher even said, well, they know where they're going. But he said, that's not the point. You don't have to make it known, because some kids may already, already are already having a tough time dealing with the fact that they have an IEP. And then you add more onto it by, uh, uh, what, I'm, what do I wanna say, pointing them out that mm-hmm. they actually you know have an IEP. I even remember one teacher saying, oh, he's special ed, right? He belongs with you, right? <laughs> and I'm just like, what? <laughs> like I couldn't believe she came out of her mouth to say that. And I'm just like, I wanted to say something. What's wrong with you? Like, why would you? Why would you say that one in front of this student? Why would you say it? Period. Uh-huh. And it was like kind of like a push him in our room, like shove him in our room. And I'm just like, what is wrong with people? And imagine you have people that deal with your child who has an IEP who doesn't look like them, mm. and they have this mindset. They already have this mindset that, you know. They have their stereotypes of African-Americans. They have biases towards African-Americans. So you already have these preconceived notions. So it's like this person is educating your child. And on top of that, this person has to also implement what's in your kid's IEP if your child gets an IEP. You know, so many parents that I had come in contact with, especially parents of color, had to fight to get an IEP for their kid. You know, they're saying just years of them going to the principal, going to the teacher, I know something is wrong. I know something is wrong. Mm -hmm. And parents having to fight. Parents having to fight to get um, an aid support for their kid. You know, someone just shared a post today. Um, that said, you know, there are black kids with autism and they need support too. And I I responded, I commented and I said, it's a shame that parents, especially parents of color have to fight to get services for their child and support for their child. And I also said, it's sad to say, but if you're in a wealthier district, you won't have to put up too much of a fight. Because of how their special ed programming is implemented, you know, in Philadelphia they do a lot of resource room. You know, a lot of districts have that one size fits all. We just we just do resource room. You know, a lot of districts don't implement inclusive teaching models, which benefits all students, IEP students and non IEP students. And you know, in these districts they have aides who support the students, who support the students in the classroom so there is that disproportionate of funding Mm -hmm. among school districts and majority of the districts that get um that don't get as much funding it's african americans and and, um and hispanics it's those communities those those are the districts that uh are um predominantly african-american and hispanic um students the more Affluent and white communities; those school districts have more money, mm-hmm. and those students get services. And that's and and, and, and that's a sad truth.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: it's a sad truth.
0: So one of the things that I was trying to understand when I was reading through these articles, um, it seems like there's kind of this this debate on whether um, students of color are over-identified for special education or under-identified. That was the way one of the articles. So, and then there was this yeah. about disproportionality. I, and I'm not sure if you can maybe unpack that a little bit and because I was I was getting confused yeah, I th-
1: on. Yeah, because I think the Washington Post one was saying, are they over-represented in- overrepresented in special education or are they underrepresented in special education? And from my understanding, they were giving light to both sides.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so with the um, basically in the article they were um, in a Washington Post article um, they were saying how some teachers are not, some, not, not just some teachers, um, teachers and psychologists don't want to um be looked at as being um as overly identifying kids Mm -hmm. of color um so they may not um put in like the you know if if in schools when you when you sense that a student is having difficulty there's a certain process teachers have to go through to um fill out the paperwork and all of that Mm -hmm. so you know you have some teachers who may not want to do that because they feel like they may be racially profiling a kid but then on the other hand in the article it was discussing how um that's not the case you know you have some teachers who are just going oh this kid needs it oh this kid is having a problem oh i need to put it i need to put in a referral for this kid and that was the um that was one of the arguments there. Like, is it, well, which one is it? And it didn't seem that they had a definite answer. Yeah. Um, they did, this in the article, yeah, it didn't seem like it was a definite yes, they are underrepresenting, and yes, they are over, overly-representing it. For me, I feel like it's both. It's yes to both. Because how many kids slip through the cracks? Like, how, I mean, we all know someone you know there are several you know kids who slip through the cracks especially again you have some teachers who don't want to put in the effort or the work that goes with um that goes with putting in the referral Mm -hmm. they don't want to do it it's extra work it's extra work on their part i don't want to do it but they, they may do it for one of their white students and then you have again you have some teachers who will go overboard like Every again, you have that um, uh, getting referrals for sus- referrals to the office, getting suspensions. Like you have some cases constantly doing it. Oh, they have a behavior problem. Oh, they need an FBA done. You know, you have that. You know, so from the article I got that. Well, there was no definite answer. And then also, and I think it was the New York Times article: Is special education rate is it racist? Is special education racist? Um, And that article, I think it was that one where the I think it was a psychologist um, or the person writing it was just saying there are other factors you have to take into Mm -hmm. consideration when you say, oh, special education is racist because they because I know it was discussing the over representation of African Americans in special education and they were saying but there are other factors to take in consideration like um uh what was what were they trying what were they saying um other factors was the home that this child was coming from
0: right yeah so can i The
1: the the the, go ahead
0: uh why did i mean to cut you off i have a a quote from that article that kind of contradicts itself but it i think it gets to what you're saying they said um They're far more, so black children face double jeopardy when it comes to succeeding in school. They are far more likely to be exposed to the gestational, environmental, and economic risk factors that often result in disabilities. Yet black children are less likely to be told they have disabilities and to be treated for them than otherwise similar white children.
1: Right. That's
0: what, the no, was that the New York Times one? This, yeah, this was the New York Times one. And then it, it- go on and, and that's
1: say the one, it, is special education racist yes yeah.
0: yeah yeah so it was a little confusing like yeah it doesn't seem like there's a really conclusive um
1: yeah I had to read it I had to read about two times <laughs> I had to read it like twice because I'm like um are you saying it is or it isn't you know um because and so, in, 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 um go ahead go ahead
0: it, no I don't mean to cut you off it's okay
1: okay no because I was just saying like you know it's like Okay, you're saying, you know, there are little expectations for you know African American children, their abilities and things like that. And but then it's like, well, you have to take into this 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 other aspect into consideration. So it was a little difficult to understand what the stance was because it sound like they. Because at the end, I'm like, well, you're saying it's not racist that's what it's you know that's what it mm-hmm. seemed like even though you were giving these examples of african-american children slipping through the cracks not getting um proper um not getting proper di- proper diagnoses and not getting proper services but then it sounds like you're saying but that's not it's not racist though
0: right which does but, um, but, like, to- but i'm like evid- right,
1: but i'm like you're giving evidence right but i'm like you're kind you're giving evidence that does support that okay it is because clearly they're not getting the support and they're not being you know identified and then part of not being identified is you know part of it is the parent doesn't know the parent isn't maybe the parent may not be educated on the process and they may feel like you are trying to label their child so they may not be on board right away um and then you can have a parent who wants their child to be tested and they're not being heard. You know, they're, they're coming to the office and they're requesting it and they're not being, and, and it's not being followed, followed through with. So mm-hmm. you have that, you know, but by the end of this article, article, I'm like, you're giving evidence that shows that it is racist, but then you're saying it's not.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and that's kind of why and, I wanted but to, it is. yes. I, yeah, I think it's, it's obvious that it is. And that's why I wanted to start from that premise of just like, let's get past that debate because it's there. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I read a few articles and I kind of like tallied up like under each one, um, some of the reasons why. So like the, on the side of people saying that they're underidentified, you've kind of touched on all of them. Um, there's an underdi- under, underdiagnosis. diagnosis. Um, there's one of the articles was saying that there's, uh lowered expectations by teachers for black students so um there's that implicit bias that comes in um and then you know being treated more like criminals rather than children with mental health issues mm-hmm. and uh, another one which you touched on was like the funding like the district or the administration not wanting to put funding towards students of color going into special education and so or just not even having the funds because of the district that they are in and then also, like you said, um, you know, parents of color either n- not having access to the uh, to the information or not being listened to. That was an article, a brief article that I read um, talking about how, you know, parents of color are more likely to seem aggressive, you know, when they're fighting for their child. And sometimes you do have to be a little aggressive and, a, and that's a different experience for... Um,
1: right. And then And then you do have that, You know, especially if a black woman is expressing she needs help for her child, you know, you do have your white counterpart saying, oh my God, why are you being so aggressive? And you're like, I'm not being aggressive. I am, you know, they're like, well, your tone is being, and it's like, you know, she gets labeled as that angry black woman. And it's like, Mm -hmm. no, she's, she's, she speaks very passionately about getting help for her kid. Like, that's how we speak. You know, that's how you, how we speak, you Mm -hmm. know, it's not. You know what I mean? It it gets taken a whole different way where you're being aggressive and um, your tone is this and this and this. And you're like, I'm not even yelling at you. (laughs) I'm not yelling. I'm not even hollering. You You know what I mean? And so it gets turned a different way. So the attention is not on her need anymore. And I feel like that is a way to deflect what she's there for. So that way you can push her away or, you know, get her out your office. You know, but all those factors you know, do come into play. There is a disproportionate of funds across districts, you know, more urban districts tend to not get as much money as their suburban districts. And the suburban districts tend to be, you know, predominantly white, um, white, they get more, you know, money, more funding. Um, you do have, you know, your implicit bias. Um, again, you know, children of color, they get suspended out um, school, out school, outside suspensions you know more than their white peers you know it was a whole it was a whole thing like um there's data to you know back that up there has been specials on on um on news platforms about this you know one girl in particular um it was uh they talked about one girl in particular she um I think she got up I don't know she asked to get up and she took something. Um, she needed it for her assignment I guess she got it without asking and she got suspended for like 10 days like it was it was (laughs) ridiculous the the it was like the consequence didn't match what she did like it didn't it didn't go with that and it's like that was really you know really harsh you know you have that then you have the like you're saying, um, especially black boys being looked at as criminals, like not someone that has a mental health issue. And you see that in the world today. That's just mm. like um, the, the guy that shot up the movie theater in Colorado. Oh, he's looked at as having mm. a mental health issue. You know, the guy that went into the school and uh, I believe he, he shot his mother, then went to where she worked and shot up that elementary school. Mm-hmm. he's looked at as having a mental health issue. Oh, oh, I, I think they said, oh, he had Asperger's. And I'm like, Asperger's don't make you do that. A- I have had students who had Asperger's. It doesn't make you shoot anybody. You know, you, you know they have social issues. Mm-hmm. Meaning, like, for example, um, they don't know. I need to say excuse me when I'm in close proximity with someone. When I'm trying to reach to get something, I need to say excuse me. I need not to reach over somebody. That's uh, someone that has Asperger's. They don't understand that. You know what I mean? But to say you have Asperger's, that's why you killed up, killed these people, you killed those children. No, they were looked at as having a mental health issue. But if it was an African-American, no, they're criminals and they, they had the intent to do that. You know, it's like mental health is mental issues are or mental issues. That's what they are. You can't say some have them and some don't just because they are a different, just because their skin color is different. But that's how it's viewed in the world. Whites who shoot up, who do mass shootings, they're looked at as having a mental health issue. If an African American shoots someone or steals something, they're criminals. Mm-hmm. But these people are criminals. They purposely went and shot someone, shot up a lot of people because they didn't get what they wanted or something happened. But they're looked as having men- they are looked at as having mental health issues, you know, and, it, and it's really sad. It's really sad, and that uh, prison pipeline is real. Mm-hmm. It's real. It starts, and it's, like, you can just trace back. I'm, I guarantee you get, um, a, like, a kid, an African-American kid, and you trace back, you can probably see where it started, like, where they started getting into trouble, and you probably can pin it to something traumatic that happened in their life, but no one took the time to give them support. No one put in the time and energy to get that kid the support they needed, whether it was counseling, individual counseling, whether it was group counseling, whether it was um, uh, other related services that they may have needed just to help them um, in their in their education. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes the help a kid needs is not always this whole big. Uh, oh, they need need all this service. Sometimes some kids just need somebody to talk to and that actually cares about them or someone to just show them a different way, help them understand, help them process their emotions so that they don't have to cope with it. Mm -hmm. But it's like you have, you're in a school with all these adults who don't care about you or don't even take the time to... See what your issue is and help, or see what your issue is and get you support, continued support. And this is when, when I would have IEP meetings, and then I would, when I would have angry parents, they're not necessarily angry with me; they're angry at the whole process they had to go through. Mm-hmm. And some parents who may come off, uh, you know, um, very defensive. Mm-hmm. I understand why they're defensive. They had to fight to get this service for for their kid, and they're trying to make sure nobody takes it away. You know, the parents of color who were able to get the help for their kids, and then you have some parents who um, they have not even been um, even like um, in the article. I can't remember if it was the Washington Post one or the New York Times. It was saying these pamphlets, they're how they're written. Parents don't even understand like what they're saying. It does They don't even understand the process of. Um, getting special education support for their child because they can't even understand the pamphlet that's mm-hmm. in a lot of schools because of how it's written. You know, the language is so high, you know, they don't they have no idea what the pamphlet is saying. Mm-hmm. But you schools have all these pamphlets in our, you know, in the office, oh, your child needs help, this is what you do, whatever, but they can't even understand it and nor does someone take the time to explain it. And then some parents may be afraid to even ask for help, a fear of being shunned away or just not not, not being hurt. Mm-hmm. So there are a lot, a lot of factors. And I, from my experience, I will say yes. Special education is racist. Yes. We have children who are being under identified. We have children who are being our children are being overly identified, and also we have our a lot of our children are being misdiagnosed. You know, I had um, a lot of African American boys get diagnosed with um, emotionally an ED having an emotional disturbance, or they get diagnosed with OHI, other health impairment, because they have what they say. I feel like everyone's getting diagnosed with ADHD. Mm-hmm. Um, they have that, and it's like, you know, when you go back and look at the kid's record, it's like, is it really ED? Like some, some, of them, it's like I feel like they're borderline. It could be EDE or something else, and it's like when you talk to the kid, they'll tell you exactly what they need or tell you exactly what's wrong. Mm-hmm. But they were being diagnosed with having ED, and I remember one school. I'm not gonna say the name. One school I taught at, it was, I'll say it was a predominantly, um, it was predominantly African-American and um, um, Hispanic um, school. Um, You did have some Caucasians um, at the school as well. And i never forget the principal had to tell the psychologist, because the psychologist, she found everybody to be exceptional. Every kid she tested came out having a diagnosis. And he went to her and was like, look, you have to, you have to stop this. It, it, every kid can't be having, can't have a diagnosis. This is crazy. She would find something. Every single last kid that was being tested. And then it's like, okay, are you, do they really, like, is this really a need? Or like, because it's like, okay, some kids may not need an um, IEP. They may need a 504 plan, you know, or something. It's like. Is if do they do they really, you know, need it? You know, is this is is this a true example of the overrepresentation? You know, you overly identifying, you know, our kids. Mm -hmm. Because I I swear, every time she and we had a lot of kids. So it was a lot of kids on her list, every single one of them she was finding to be exceptional, having a having a disability. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And my and my it, it was my assistant principal said something to her. Like, this can't, this can't be real.
0: Yeah. And it
1: happens a lot in our urban, it happens a lot in our urban school districts. It does. Like, and I'll say from my experience in a suburban district, again, the system that's in place, how they go about their, I'll say their placement and their testing and everything, it's it's different than in an urban district. It's way different. The programming is different. There's there's not a I'll say where I am. There's not a, a a cookie a cookie cutter placement. We have different placements to represent. Just like no two kids with autism are alike. No, you, you shouldn't just have one placement to service everybody. You need to have different placements to service every to service your special ed population. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean. Also, we need also in our school districts, you know, we need some real diversity and inclusion training for our teachers, like some real diversity and inclusion training, some real sensitivity training, mm-hmm. because some te- like, again, like, like what you said, and you have, you have some teachers who have that implicit bias. They don't know they have it. They don't know what they're saying is inappropriate. They don't think it's inappropriate at all, you know? And again, like I said, there are some racist educators out there. There are some racist related service providers. So they, they're not doing 100%. They're not going 100% for our children who are African American or Hispanic. They're not giving them 100%. You know what I mean? They're looking at our children as criminals. Looking at them as, oh, they're just behavior problems. They, they need some discipline. No one's disciplining them. Assuming they're all coming from single uh, mother, single family homes. Mm-hmm. Assuming parents aren't educated. Assuming parents don't care. You have that. And districts really need to implement some sensitivity training and some strong diversity and inclusion training. Because some of the diversity and inclusion training is garbage. You have first, first off, if you have diversity and inclusion training, you need to have a person of color doing the training.
0: Right. Yeah, that's the like status quo. Let's start there, at least.
1: Right. Honestly, and don't don't bring someone who had one example from your childhood where they saw you know, oh someone's not being treated fairly. No, you need someone who lives it and and in order to bring it to someone's attention. Like Mm -hmm. I swear in my district, I'm like, in my district we had diversity inclusion training twice and they brought the same guy out twice. I'm like, why? I wanted to stand up (laughs) so bad. Like why is he here again? It was terrible the first time. Why is he here? He's doing the same story all over again. And then the only difference was he added a clip that had, I feel like it was mostly girls of color, but it might've been um, males and females of color. And they were students and they just talked about, you know, please don't touch my hair. You know what I mean? Don't touch my hair. Please take the time to pronounce my name. You know what I mean? Things like that. Mm -hmm. And I never forget. One of my colleagues, she was sitting on the other side of the auditorium, and she said, a teacher said, Well, they have difficult names, so it is hard to say. Uh. And I'm thinking to and I'm thinking to myself, use your energy to use your phonic skills that you learned as a that you <laughs> learned and take the time to pronounce my name. Mm-hmm. That's just like you can pronounce these European composers. You can say Vygotsky, you can say Chomsky, you can say all these. You can, see, you can say these um, composers and these psychologists' names. Take the time to pronounce my name correctly. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know what? That's so true because you do have white teachers who are quick to give their students nicknames because they can't pronounce their name. Or we'll just call them by their last name. Mm. And i was just like, even something, so, something small like that, I'm just like, what do you mean the name is hard? So what? So what? And, that, and, that's, and, that, and that's a um, me being a Muslim, African-American Muslim, that has happened to me all the time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Someone mispronouncing my name and I'm looking like, what letters are you, like, can you see? <laughs> like, what letters are you saying? You know what I mean? Like, I've been called, my name is pronounced Jamila. I've been called Jamila. Jamila Jamilia and I'm like why are you adding letters to my name I have no idea my last name is pronounced Bashir I've been it's been um I've been called Bashar one time someone called my 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 little sister into the doctor and they said Badger and my mother was like my daughter is not an animal (laughs) like my mother got pissed real fast and then I'm like where where do you see these other letters and if you don't know how to pronounce it, why don't you just say, excuse me, can you pronounce your name for me, please?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That that, that, take, that takes a couple seconds versus you butchering someone's name.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know what I mean? It's small things like that. Can you imagine how that can affect a kid and a kid with an IEP mm. or a kid that's having trouble? You won't even take the time to learn my name,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but you want to give me a, you're you're quick to give me a nickname though.
0: Right right yeah sounds um you know dehumanizing in a way like your name is so important if someone just right it's
1: it's personable it's yours and it's personable it belongs to you and someone doesn't want to take the time to pronounce it right or you have someone who wants to talk to you about your name like you don't even like you don't know what your name means and it's like well you know of course i know what my name means. my parents gave me this name of course i know what it means You know, I've had that, too, like, oh, Jim, you know what it means? I'm like, yes, I know what my name is. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, and and, and that's that, and that's that, you know, and and that goes back to um, a white person needing someone to point, it's a shame how my reaction to you will be the only inclination that you said something inappropriate Mm. because you don't think what you said out your mouth is inappropriate. Now, imagine you have a kid in your classroom. Imagine you have these kids in your classroom who has a teacher that looks at them a certain way and has all these implicit biases already just because they are African-American or they're Hispanic. Mm Mm-hmm. And this person is teaching your kid or this person is going to be evaluating your kid?
0: Yeah. It's... Doesn't make for a very comfortable learning environment. So it starts there that, yeah, that, I mean, the problems stem off from that.
1: Right. And and, this, and that's what causes a lot of issues. This causes, you know, let's say, you know, the kid, uh, a kid was getting evaluated, but because of the treatment the child has gotten, oh, their parent don't want to listen to what they say to listen to any of your findings. They don't trust you. They don't want to listen to any findings you found. They don't trust none of the findings you found because it's like, okay, my son wasn't in the best mood. You didn't pay that any mind. And you still went, you still went with um, administering your testing. He's not even a good, he's not even in a good state of mind, but you're going to continue on with your testing. So of course, you know, that could affect his results. But it's like, you you didn't take the time to to take that into consideration, to take that into consideration. So, mm, it's my, like like I said, my beliefs, yes. Our children of color are under identified and they are overly identified. I'll say yes to both. Mm -hmm. And I will say yes Social education is racist. I will say it. Yes,
0: it is. Yes, it is. So how can, and this would be different suggestions for different people. Um, What are some things that we can do? Like, I I like um, what you said, you know, about the implicit bias, like calling it out when we see it, whether you're the parent of the child or whether you're another teacher or whether you're the parent of a peer or an aide in the classroom. Um, I think, you know, seeing people's implicit bias, really bringing that to attention and, and making them look at that.
1: I think the biggest thing you can do is you have to, that's just like what's going on in um, our presence, our, our society today, you can't ignore it. You can't, you can't be quiet in that moment. You have to speak up in that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't be, you know, oh, in your mind you're saying, oh, she shouldn't have said that, she shouldn't have did that. You have to speak up in that moment. Or, or, and I understand you're waiting till kids, let's say kids are in the room, you wait till they leave, or you may go over to the corner like, that wasn't right what you just did. You have people, you have colleagues who are afraid to check their colleagues, or afraid to speak up in front of their colleagues, or even when they hear, inappropriate, um, speech, just inappropriate conversations dealing with race. You don't speak up. That's one of the biggest issues. That's how, that's how the behavior continues on because you're not speaking up against it. You know, the whole, um, this whole, um, um, ideal of white supremacy. It's like, that's something that White people have to check each other on. It's not something that I have to correct you on. This is something you have to check each other on, because it's your issue. This is something that you do. You've been doing for years. So you know it's not. It's, so it's not like you need to come to people of color to say, "Oh, what should we do?" You know what needs to be done. Ask your, ask your friends that you hear speak like this, and that you know are like you know believe you know have these beliefs, have these biases biases. You have to check them. You have to hold them accountable. You have to maybe separate yourself or stop being friends with them. That's just like with anybody, when someone is doing you harm or doing something you know that shouldn't be done, sometimes you gotta separate yourself from that person. You gotta call them out on it and you may even have to go further with your actions and separate yourself. Have no problem like, hey, if you need to go to your principal or you need to report this person, do it. Don't do it in silence saying, oh, my God, that was so bad. He shouldn't have said that or she shouldn't have done that. You have to speak out against it. Mm-hmm. And school districts, definitely, like I said, they need more. They need real diversity and inclusion training from people of color, from a person of color. Mm-hmm. Seriously, it's 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 bad no child should go to school and they feel like they're not welcomed or the teacher doesn't like them and they have or the teacher doesn't like them because of who they are Mm
0: -hmm.
1: that shouldn't happen so that's like my advice there and parents of color continue i would say continue to fight. Don't let anyone silence your voice. Don't let anyone silence your concerns that you have for your child. If the, princi- if, if the teachers aren't listening, go to the principal. If the principal is not, not listening, go to, your, um, go to your district. And if your district is not listening and you have to seek legal counsel, do that. Have you, you be the biggest advocate for your kid and you fight for what your child needs and deserves. That is my advice.
0: I think that's great advice and hopefully um, <laughs> people will heed it. And I, I guess I wonder, are you, sorry, my family is starting to wake up now. I'm hearing dogs and children. Um, <laughs> so I, are you, are you feeling hopeful? Like there's, there's, you know, seems to be this awakening. Hopefully, hopefully it's not temporary. I, I,
1: I pray that it, I pray that it truly brings change. I truly hope it brings change, and it's very sad that these horrific events had to occur for people to wake up and see the history of this country, the history of oppression that has been going on for years, you know, centuries, you know, for African Americans, the oppression against African Americans. You know, it's a shame these horrific events had to occur, Um, and I just pray that we keep the momentum going, because change needs to occur. We are all, we're all human beings, you know, we're all human beings. No one is better than the other, whether you're black, white, Hispanic, whatever, we're all human. So, yes, I pray change does come from all this in every aspect because systemic racism, it's it's a real thing and it's in literally every industry. And it's going to take, again, like I said, it's going to take, you know, your white peers to check your, your other white peers who are exhibiting these behaviors who have these beliefs. You have to check them in that moment. You have to speak up. It's, no one can be quiet about this. You cannot be quiet about it anymore.